Hello and welcome to Out and About in Belovians. I'm your host, Jeremy Barfer. As part of my job as Member of the Scottish Parliament, I get to travel around Belovians, meeting interesting people and hearing about how the companies, charities and projects that they work for benefit and contribute to our community. On this podcast, I will share their stories. On today's episode, I'm interested to be talking to Ewan Aitken from the Cyrenians. Ewan, just tell us a, wee about, a bit about the history of Cyrenians. People probably know the name, but maybe don't know exactly where it comes from and what does it do. So that's that's a, kind of a, um, a description of much of my day job, which is telling people, this this organisation that I've heard of, but what is it you do? Um, so Cyrenians is just over 50 years old. It was founded in 1968 um, by a group of folk around the university who were concerned about people falling through the cracks. Um, and uh, and they set up a project uh, at its time, a unique project, which had uh, volunteer residents and people who were not getting help from anyone because they had too many problems. So no one organised one service would help them because it was it was addiction and poverty and mental health and, and so on and so forth. And they basically put them t- put them together in a in a house and they lived together. Um, quite extraordinary experiment and you wouldn't get away with it now. Um, but it, it, the principle was if you create community um, and create trusted relationships, change and good things can happen. And one of their philosophies was when you went in the house, you couldn't tell who was a volunteer and who was a resident. And uh, um, and actually, they were right about that. They were right that the best thing you can do is create trusted relationships um, and that you should be working in a way in a community where you can actually tell who's who because everybody's a peer because that's an important part of the whole process. And we still apply those principles. We actually still have that project um, going, that first project, in a very different way. I just want to be clear, um, uh, but it still runs um, and and it runs successfully. Now targeted at young people, um, who uh, um, uh, um, come and stay with us for well, usually about twelve months, eighteen months, but also but some have been with us up to four years. That's one of the things is they they don't. Um, uh, uh, we don't have a kind of you've got to fi- get yourself fixed by now type thing and and we have along with that project we have um, a, around 60 other projects across um, the Edinburgh the Lothians borders and four of them are national some of which are in that crisis end supporting people in crisis so we last year we looked after 73 people across five communities two two groups of young people community of young people one of which is in a farm in West Lothian which is also a social enterprise we run the social bike village we run a community for people who've come out of um, the Royal Edinburgh with mental health challenges. And we run a community for unaccompanied minors. Um, uh, and so there's that, and that's that's our crisis end. We do housing first in West Lothian and the borders. We've got an outreach team. We've got a team embedded in the hospital, pick people up who are... Um, who are homeless end up in hospital and if we can create a relationship with them and we've been evidence this and provide them support in the hospital and then out of hospital to recover we can actually interestingly reduce um, unscheduled admissions from that cohort by nearly 70 percent because of the relationship we create it's not because we did this or this or this it's because we created a relationship and the person felt they had agency so we've got that but we also have a whole bunch of upstream stuff 
because if we do not turn off the tab, we'll never stop homelessness. So we work in schools around conflict resolution because that's the reason that most young people give us um, a reason why they fell out, they, they became homeless because they fell out with their families. We work with people with mental health challenges in hospitals so that they can be part of a community so that when they go back, they, get, uh, they, they, they have more relationships and less likely to get isolated. We provide food and cooking classes and budgeting classes um, because if you've got that you're more likely to maintain a tenancy and so on and so on. Um, we work with veterans, um, we work with um, uh, young people who failed at school um, or struggling at school or school refusers, anywhere where we can get a kind of starting point that's before people are actually in the crisis of homelessness but if, we, but if we don't do something, they are more likely to be in that space. And if we can turn those taps off, then we will reduce the number of people who end up in the classic form of homelessness that people think of, which is sleeping in the streets, which actually is a relatively small group of folk who fall into the category of homeless. So we're facing an interesting time, if I put it that way. We're facing Scotland, UK. Mm-hmm. We've come out of a pandemic. We've got an economic situation going on. How does that affect the people that you're working with? How does that affect you as an organisation? Yeah, that reminds me of the um, the Chinese proverb, when you live in interesting times, you know. Um, it affects hugely. The pressure we're under is enormous. And I'm actually not convinced we're out of the pandemic. We might have kind of moved on from the medical bit, but the impact of it, I think the tail is going to be here with for five or ten years. Um, we're seeing it with young people. We're seeing it um, with students. Um, we're uh, seeing it with um, the change in people's choices about what they mean by a working life, all that kind of stuff, and we've got to adapt to that. So there's that. The cost of living is huge. The, we, we provide food through our fair share programme for 170 organisations across the um, Lothians and, and, and borders. That's food that would otherwise go to landfill. Um, it's provided by the supermarkets. It's all perfectly good and well indeed, but it provides that for those folk. Um, and allows those organisations to have more for, food for their money, um, they tell us that there's a 50% increase in the, in the demand for emergency food. Um, we run pantries for people who, um, you know, so we can provide food with dignity. People pay a, a, a nominal sum and then they can choose from the pantries. Um, every time we open a new one, it's full of mem- it's, its membership is full within a day. Um, so we can see the signs that this is... Um, huge um, but also you know I'm thinking about um, uh, how, we're, how we're funded um, the corporate supporters we've incredibly generous corporate support and uh, but will that continue um, will people be able to give the regular donations they used to all those kind of questions need to be asked as well so as demand increases the pressure on my funding sources are in, uh, is increasing public sector Kind of less money and so on and so forth. So the, the, my fear is that we're going to be in a perfect storm of more demand and less money, um, and that will have a huge impact on those we support. It's, I mean, obviously, if there was an answer to this, you would have written a book and sort of become made of money. <laughs> but what are the steps that can be taken nationally, locally? If, if you know, if you could be talking to, which I'm sure you do, talk to. Quite, Politicians, councillors, what what would you be doing? So, um, I, 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 most of what I can we can do won't, won't solve the s- systemic issues, as you uh, you say. That's 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 kind of macroeconomics. Um, but what we can do is make sure that we we, we maintain dignity in whatever we do. You know? So, um, I I'm not convinced, for example, that 
um, saying that we need warm banks by just saying, well, we'll hold the library open is the answer. Actually, what we need to do is support the assets in the community that already there that people go to. So it feels like somewhere you would go to anywhere. And by supporting those assets, that means they can write the storm and they can provide the wraparound care that, that, would be, uh, that, that would be needed. Because to be absolutely honest, if you're in need of that kind of support, then it's not just heat you need. It'll be a bunch of other things as well. So let's look at how can we support those community assets? Because you're going to be, that's a long-term investment as well as a short-term uh, issue. So that's what I would argue for. Um, I also think the cash-first approach is, is the right one um, uh, because... Uh, um, that gives people agency and dignity. So um, I, I have to say I'm, I'm horrified with the continued um, thing around benefits, where they're saying actually we'll give you less um, unless you you know do what you're told, um, or we'll make it more hard. Whereas actually we could see you know that twenty pound uplift during um, uh, uh, during COVID had a massive effect, massive effect, and and really help people not just the financial effect. But the agency effect. So keeping keeping that. That's why I think you know the increase of the the child uh, the child payment that um, the Scottish government has put in is is a good thing. Um, uh, anything that we can do in, in cash first is uh, I think uh, helpful because that maintains maintains the, dig the, the the dignity. At its heart, though, this is a you know an economic issue that's 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 huge and and one that um, isn't going to go away overnight. Uh, and one of the economic issues that to hatch affects Edinburgh, the Lothians, more than other parts of Scotland. It, it is house prices, is house yeah. building. You know, it, people will be homeless, people will not have secure tenancies if there's nowhere to live. Mm -hmm. it, it, is this becoming a bigger issue? And if so, again, what are some of the issues that you're grappling with and trying to deal with? So the average length of time that you spend in bed and breakfast in Edinburgh is about 12 months. That's the longest in Scotland. If you so, if you end up homeless, you get put in a bed and breakfast, um, and that has a massive effect on people's mental health, um, uh, uh, as well, and their ability to move on. Um, the average length of time you spend in uh, temporary accommodation in Edinburgh is over two years. It kind of doesn't feel like it's temporary, actually, in the end. And there are four and a half thousand people in temporary accommodation in Edinburgh. We had huge success over COVID, getting people into hotels, um, and actually it was so successful, we've stopped having the night shelters and started funding a hotel, because it actually works, it's got dignity, it's got support, the level of engagement is enormous, which is fantastic, except that it, they then got into this block, because there is just not the housing. Um, and uh, a number of things need, 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 need to happen in my view. We do need to up the, uh, the housing grant to, to, to social houses, house builders so that they can afford to do this in the present circumstances. That that That's an investment that we need to do now, even though things are tight, because if we don't do it now, we'll stop the, 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 the numbers that we need at a time we need. But I think we also need to um, really have a long, hard look at land values and how that, how that works. Um, that is the biggest issue, particularly in Edinburgh, although actually across Scotland too. I mean, I was reading somewhere about about um, the problem in Islay at the moment um, with, with, with land values again. I, I talked to a, one of our corporate supporters, who, a construction industry, who told me that the basic cost in Edinburgh, because of the combination of land values and now cost of, um, a, of, of, of materials, 
to build a, an, an ordinary family house, two or three bedroom houses, is, is 150,000. That's before you put the labour in or anything else. Um, that means that, that becomes almost unaffordable before you start, even though you want to make it affordable. Mm-hmm. You know, so something radical on land reform. You know, um, I mean, um, um, part of the problem with the Scottish government, as you know even better than I do, is they can't borrow. But imagine if the government said, right, what we'll do is we'll buy that land up. And we'll spread that cost over a long period of time and actually provide it in short term at much cheaper cost to social housing builders. So that, um, the, and then it, some of the, the rent can go and pay that back, but because governments can spread things over a, a long periods of, 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 of time over debt, you could shift the dial on that quite considerably, quite quickly. Now, that's going to be hard going because um, the de- developers have banked that land for a long time and it's cost them a lot of money. But the, the impact is. On, on us as a society is it's costing us a lot not just in financial terms but in, in, in people's inability to flourish because they don't have the, home, the secure, safe, warm home they need If I can move just for a second on to you as an individual you, you, you're an interesting journey Paris Minister Leader of Edinburgh Council Chief Executive of uh, a large uh, Scottish charity just tell us a wee bit about what gets you up in the morning what, what motivates you to do these quite different jobs. Uh, yeah, one of which is I've found over life it's good to just be a moving target because they kind of get you. <laughs> um, and mostly, I mean, I've always been driven by a sense of um, justice and injustice and uh, and what's the best place to, to, to make that um, a better for people. Um, I, I, you know, I had, um, in relative terms, uh, um, you know, a, 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 an upbringing that was, you know, compared to many people, relatively privileged. I mean, it wasn't he, wasn't he rich or anything. It was just an ordinary middle class family. But you know, huge opportunity. Um, and I think, it, in terms of my sense of fairness, um, others should have the same. For me, it's about how, how, what can I do to mean that others um, will flourish. I, I mean, I've, I've always believed um, in, in the idea that, um, uh, I'm out, out altruism is a is, is is an expressive reciprocity in other words if i help my neighbor or the stranger i too will benefit um and and, and it's a two-way street um and so the more you do for others the more you yourself will, will grow as a person and, and 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 receive what you need not what you want perhaps but what you need and to flourish and what you what skills do you think you brought to this job? You know what 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 took you again from working in one to one George teacher Scotland to, to here? <laughs> I used to laugh at um, when you're leader of the Labour group, you're basically um, um, managing factions, and it would be true to say that that skill set I needed to apply to even greater extent in in the Church of Scotland. But <laughs> um, no. Uh, a number of things. Um, being in a in a parish taught me about community and, and people's lives. Although actually it was pre that. I mean, I started out life as a youth worker in Glasgow, and you know, saw that if you build communities from the bottom up, good things happen. You know, and 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 I've always thought that I was like that whole thing, all about relationships. Quality relationships mean that people will will be better. That we're built to be social. You know, we're built to be in relationship with others. Um, eh, so. There was that going in onto the council. I saw both how decisions could be taken and why they sometimes weren't taken, and that understanding helps me. 
I also speak now public sector speak, which is usually sentences with more acronyms than words, you know, so I can can navigate the system, um, which is which is helpful. And I've got a set of relationships as a result, you know, um, I'm, 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 and I'm comfortable being in that that place where decisions are made. And frankly, I'm comfortable being in a in context where the people making decisions might have a different political view to me, but I can get on with it because it's the decision that matters, not the politics. And, and I, I actually think that, that that's not always the case by, but with folk. And, and, but I, so I think it's an advantage because mm-hmm. I, I understand why people are coming where they're coming from. Um, this is the best job I've ever had, though. I love doing the other stuff I did, but this is the best job. Um, and that's probably the thing that motivates me. I'm surrounded by the most amazing colleagues who, who do incredible things. I do apply that um, very important um, uh, tenet of leadership, though. I surround myself by people with people who are smarter and better at the job that they do than I would have been. So. <laughs> I, I suppose looking forward to the next few months within kind of Scottish world, one of the biggest changes we're going to see is around self and health and social care, yeah. um, which, you know, is a massive area for local authorities, massive area for government spending. The government have come up with quite a radical, possibly, different way. Is it radical enough? Is it going to actually bring about the change which will affect the person who lives in Christophen or lives in another part of Edinburgh? I, I think that they wanted to be radical, but actually being quite conservative, and I mean that in a small C yeah. sense, you know, um, uh, um, because they've decided that, that central control is the answer, and it is never the answer. Um, uh, so I have real concerns. The irony is that there's two or three things that they're doing that I think are really, really helpful. Um, one of which is about changing the procurement process or shifting away from competitive tendering for people when you're talking about what, how do we provide support for people's lives. Um, they also are arguing for a, a consistent way of transfer of of, of um, records being transferred, and, and the sto- people so people don't have to tell their story more than once. And, and I have to say, having been on the um, independent care review and now on the Promise Oversight Board, that is the one thing that will make the biggest change. Um, so there are some good things in there that I wouldn't want to lose but actually if they did them I think a lot of the other stuff that they think they're going to have to produce by having a centralised control will happen um, and if you take the promise as, a, as an example for, for that and, and I mean it's been great that we've got all party support for that is that the, the, the promise has has identified if you take local authorities as one thing rather than 32 things there are 46 different public bodies that need to be involved in the change so they didn't propose that you have a new structure at the top. They said if we can get them to communicate well, to take a person-centred approach, to understand that they you, they have a common task rather than a silo-based task, and rebuild the culture and pay people properly in it, then um, then actually the system will change without having to have a massive structural change that will cost a fortune. I was talking to West Lothian Council um, a couple of weeks ago. They tell me that if this goes through, if the National Care Service goes through as it as it, as it um, is proposed, fourteen hundred staff will move from one council. Mm-hmm. Now the impact of that um, on that the infrastructure that go that will go with that is enormous. 
And that means that we will be talking to councils whose eye will necessarily be off the ball for the next three years to achieve something for which there's no guarantee it's going to work, work, work out, and actually I'm concerned it is, and isn't necessary to achieve the outcomes that, 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 that they want. So I am I'm deeply worried about this. And I think as a consequence, to actually answer your question, it's going to impact our ability to support the people we support in, in quite dramatic ways. I'm going to take a very good conversation and I want to finish just with my usual final question. Marriage, I know it may come back to money, yeah. but beyond the money situation, you know, what is, is there a magic wand or is it too simplistic to say there's one magic wand that would make your clients' lives better? What, what, what could we do to do that? Well, I mean, it's, you and I have more than once debate, you know, the problem, the problem of complexity is known where to start, you know, um, and I think probably the answer is you pick two or three things and do them well. Um, and, and so I would say that rather than trying, I mean, yeah, sure, if we had pots of money, that'd be great. But actually, if you haven't got the right system in place, then you can, you, you know, that, that money can get wasted. So I would say if we could change the culture so that, so that the way we deliver services is genuinely person-centred, um, and that includes meaning bringing people in into uh, uh, understanding, you know, the impact of trauma on folks' lives and so on. Um, so you, so so that organisations like us were charged with building trusted relationships, and we need to evidence that absolutely. But if that was the focus, then the right things would happen. Um, so in terms of systemic change, I would say that. And the other thing, and this is hugely important for how we work as Cyrenians, and one of the reasons why I love it here is explicit um, uh, work, explicit, being explicitly values-based. What are your values and how you're living them and being held to account for them? So my, my colleagues, it's compassion, respect, integrity, and innovation. At the end of each year in our appraisal process, well, we don't call it that, we call it a learning development plan, Staff asked, so how did you live the values? Because we know if we can get that bit right, they'll have made good decisions. And if they made good decisions, then good things will come. So creating systems that were person-centred and values-led um, would go a huge way to create the culture that would mean I think we'd spend the money we have a whole lot better. Good way to end. Thank you very much. It was great to hear from you, Ewan. It's been interesting to hear about the important and amazing work that the Serenians are doing. We'll put a link to their website in the show notes and you can go to it if you want to find out more. Thank you for listening to Out and About in Melovians and can I take this opportunity to wish you all a very happy Christmas and all the best for 2023. We'll be taking a short break for the festive period but we'll be back in early January and I look forward to catching up with you then. Bye.